and dance if we want to We can leave your plans behind Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance all that No plans are mine you can go where you want to, and you found your way here to Safe Toddles Podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Grace Ambrose Zakin. I'm the inventor of the pediatric bell cane and current president and CEO of the nonprofit Safe Toddles. This year, I'm going to continue to provide the interviews that um, I conducted in the late 1900s. <laughs> early 2000s, and I find them to be a wonderful archive of what it was like growing up blind in the 20th century. The next up is Maureen Moscato, and she was a really good friend of mine. So funny, you'll find in this, so insightful also. But Maureen is a real treasure, and I had to share this story in. Her stories reveal a woman who grew up in the school of hard knocks and her resiliency really got her through but if you're also interested in the pros and cons of dog guides or long canes or waiting to get your cane before you could get out of the house at age 16 and be independent or blind politics or how ada is interpreted and used i think it's a really great listen all the way through to the end so without further ado Maureen Moscato, born blind in 1950. Um, if you could state and spell your full name. Maureen, I don't think I have to spell that right. E-E-N. Moscato, M-O-S-C-A-T-O. And your date of birth? 1950. And where were you born? In New York City. And where do you live now? I live in Yonkers, in Westchester County. And um, what do you do for a living? I'm a rehab teacher and an academic instructor at the Catholic Guild for the Blind in New York City. And where did you go to college? I went to um, undergraduate the College of Mount St. Vincent in uh, Bronx, and I got my master's degree in teacher education at uh, Long Island University uh, at the Brooklyn Center. So that's your highest degree is yeah. your master's. Um, how long have you had a vision impairment? Uh, since birth. And what's the name of it? Um, the new name, the old name was retroential fibroplasia, and the new name is retinopathy of prematurity. Um, when did you first realize that you were visually impaired? Uh, I, you know, I never thought of myself as being that much different until I was about, this sounds funny, but about eight when my brother and I went to jump on the haystacks in a field up in Maine. And then, you know, after that, he began doing things with his friends that I just couldn't do, you know, that required a lot of vision. But before that, he was a regular playmate. And I just, and I went to a school for the blind, so I just never thought about it. Right. Um, When did you first learn to travel independent of another person? Um. I started mobility in my junior and senior year of high school, uh-huh. but I was cleared for travel. Uh, I, should, I should say my junior year, and I was cleared for travel just before the beginning of my senior year in high school when I was about 18. So before then, uh, before you got the official training, uh, what were you doing to get around school? 
Uh, were you well, to go with somebody? I knew, no, I knew my way around the school. Uh-huh. And I walked around without a cane and everything. But before I learned to travel, uh, my mother worked on weekends, and I couldn't go anywhere. All I could do was stay in the apartment. She told me to lock the door, and all I did was read books, huh? uh, w which was probably good in a way. But then in my senior year, it was great because I could meet my friends and those that could travel and go visit friends and all that. So you were restricted from leaving the house all weekend long by yourself? Yes. From the time you can remember till you were 12th, 12th grade? Well, um, uh, I was in a different living situation before I was 16, but when I was about 16 and 17, then I moved to Manhattan from the Bronx, and uh, I was in an apartment with my mother, and she needed to work. She had two jobs, and she said, you know, don't open the door for anybody, and, you know, I couldn't go anywhere except if, you know, somebody came to take me to church on the weekend. That was about it. Wow. And did you desire to travel more independently? Well, I wanted to, but I was afraid at the same time. Yeah. So you, you remember wanting to do more. Right. What are your childhood memories of play? What kinds of, um, did you ride a bike, for example, or? Um. We did, um, well, I remember one time I backed my mother's car out of the driveway. I must have been about 11, okay? And, uh, well, I got in a lot of trouble for that. But I, uh, I didn't wreck the car. But um, we used to spend You were with your brother and... Yeah, my brother was in on that one. Uh-huh. And, uh... We and you, what, you, you turned the car on and put it yes, in reverse? Yes, I did. And yes. <laughs> I remember it was a tan car, uh -huh. a beautiful car, and my mother was really upset, really. And um, did you have some vision back then, or? Uh, not by that time. Uh -huh. By that time, I only had light. Right. Um. Well, we um, not too much. Uh, I had done uh, in a couple of winters. I had tried some ice skating. I didn't do too well when I got off the learner skates. Uh, we did some family sledding in, in the winter in Bear Mountain when I was about eight, oh, nine, sure. ten. And in the summers, we went to uh, Vermont or New Hampshire, and we did uh, swimming and uh, uh, a little bit of diving and things like that. You know, that's, that was about it. And if uh, we played games if, with my cousins and stuff, it was high-go-seek or something like that, you know, when they came to visit. Because otherwise, it was just my brother and I. But if my cousins came to visit, there was a lot of us, so we went to see them. Yeah. Um, so, sounds like a lot of fun. So, you get to uh, 11th, 12th grade, and did you ex anticipate that you were going to start to learn this mobility? I mean, have you been, had you been traveling with a cane before then? or, or Not really. I had had a little instruction at the lighthouse when I was about 13. Uh-huh. And uh, then uh, I forget what happened. They disbanded it or some, some, something happened. And then um, my counselor from the commission said, well, if you want to go to college, you better think about learning how to travel. So that was really, you know, I started it, but I knew that I had to achieve it because he said if you don't achieve it, you can't go to college. Uh -huh. And I wanted to go to college. So you, 
once at 13, did you like get a cane and then have a cane from then on? Uh, I had it in the house, yes. You had it, but you really didn't use it? I didn't use it much. Did you um, go places without it around school or? Yeah. Uh, at the institute, nobody ever used canes. Nobody used canes. Nobody. So was there a lot of uh, bumping into each other? Or? No, not really. No? You know, occasionally, but not really. Everybody knew the ground. Yeah. You know, there so. weren't too many accidents. You know, <laughs> maybe one or two a year. That's about it. Was there a sort of a thing where you would go sighted guide places too or go with other kids who had some vision or um now that I remember it it might have been the rule though that we had to carry a cane when we went off campus uh-huh. <clears throat> when we were about 16 we could go off campus with our mother's permission with parents permission but yes we would go with partially sighted people but I could bet it wasn't the correct sighted guide technique right you know? Right. But still um, together. Yeah. And um, was there ever a sense that, you know, there was sort of a hierarchy, um, people who had some vision, people who were totally blind, in, in privileges or in any way? No, it's just if, if you wanted to go somewhere, you knew enough to seek out someone with some pretty good vision or if you... Or uh, if you dropped something in the study hall and you didn't want the teacher to know you were fooling around with something you shouldn't, you'd get the partially sighted person to help you or something like that. But um, I, I think we knew they could see more. You know, we knew that if we wanted to go somewhere, they would more or less help us, you know, if you, especially if you were a friend of theirs or you bought them a Coke or something like that, you know. But I don't know that we saw any rivalry about it. Yeah. Um, hold on, I think that's the boys. I'm going to just go check. Mm-hmm. So, sorry about that. Okay. So, uh, it's great to have them. This is the first time I had people come and <laughs> shovel for me. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you remember now as the method? What happened when they first started teaching mobility and... Um, how often did you get it? You know, sort of tell me about. Um, well, when I was at the Institute, I, I remember I had, you know, Mr. Doss's younger brother, and he was training, you know. Uh, do you know Mr. Doss, who's in the Yonkers school system? No. The AER, we gave him an award oh. last year or something. Anyway, his younger brother was training to be a mobility instructor. I think at that time Columbia had a program. And uh, he was my instructor, and he was the student instructor. And I knew that, okay? I knew it because he was what they call scholarship student, and he lived in the dorm with the boys. Uh-huh. So well, as much as uh, I would really take terrible advantage of this guy at times, because I knew he was young, and I knew I was one of his first teaching assignments. Okay, I was smart enough to know that. Uh-huh. But in the beginning, we, um, <clears throat> you know, he showed us, how he showed me how to hold the cane, and then, you know, we would go over uh, the rhythm of walking with the cane and making a wide enough arc. You know, it was probably, it was too touch at that time uh-huh. only. And um, I think we started out on the grounds, and then we would, like, uh, go down to the candy stand, which was the school owned, which was, like, a block away. 
And uh, then from there, we went into uh, crossing streets. And then, because he knew eventually I wanted to travel on a subway, the goal was to go to the nearest subway station. And we did that for a long time in my junior year. And then, like about the spring, he would uh, take me on the subway. We'd do one stop, then, you know, the next week we'd do two, and so on. Uh-huh. But then, in the summertime, I was in, like, the, uh, what they call the pre-vocational program at the Lighthouse, and that's where I had an instructor. Well, I had her about three times a week, and then when we finished the program, I had her every day for about a month. Wow. And by the time we finished, you know, I could travel on the subway up to the New York Institute by myself. Mm-hmm. Because Doss had started the trip with me, so she didn't have to go all the way up there. It was more or less getting to the 59th Street sub because I lived on 60th and 1st. Right. Getting to the 59th Street subway and finding the turnstile and getting, it was the express train all the way down to the lower level and that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, taking a look at the platform, walking to the edge, knowing where the edge was and all of that. So she started the, the, the trip at this end and he started the trip at the other end. So actually I had two different mobility instructors work with me on it, but there was no harm done because, you know, I knew both ends and there was no point in her going up there since he had taught me the trip anyway. Yeah. And um, I forgot to bring a note when I went back to school my senior year and I said, I'm going to go home by myself. And they said, oh, no, you're not. We have to, they didn't have taxes in those days. We got to have permission from your mother. You have to bring us written permission. So my mother gave it very reluctantly. She didn't want me to travel alone. Mm. She gave the mobility instructor a hard time. In fact, she almost threw her out of the house. Oh, really? Why? She, really, she just did not want me to travel alone. She was very worried about it. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Uh, then I, I think my father had said, listen, you know, you have to be realistic. You can't expect her to go off to college and to learn a college campus and everything. She can't travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember he was pretty strict with her about that. So... I think that's what saved me. So you learned the route on the subway from your house to the Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you start thinking about how you might take that subway someplace else, too, or was it? Well, I also used to go visit my girlfriend in Flushing. Uh But I took buses out there because I really wasn't a good subway traveler. Uh But I made it to where I had to go. Um, So for the first year... I did an awful lot of bus travel, okay, uh, to, to friends and stuff. And my only subway experience was really to the Institute and back again once a week. Uh, but every any place else I went either was by foot or I uh, took a bus or something like that. So what was what were the techniques that you were to keep in mind um, for subway travel? Um, how would you, how were you to do that trip? Well, you know, I I had to um, be um, careful, you know, to locate the rails properly for the steps and to um, locate, um, if it was a one-sided platform, to try to locate the wall side, closest to the wall side. Um, I very seldom at that time traveled on, um, you know, double-edged platforms. Mm-hmm. 
and you can go down to the expressive 59 that it isn't double-edged but I think where I got off at the Institute it was double-edged and I used to a lot of times um, try to get in the car that stopped closest to the stairway mm-hmm. which I still do even with a dog yeah I can. how do you figure out which car that is well um, I think by trial and error and asking people, uh, I think I eventually figured that one out. So do you use some sort of landmark once you, you know, this Well, is... I will. I'll try to remember uh, if it's a, a certain, if there's a standing sign there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I travel with a dog... Uh, oh, hold on, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do apologize for that. I didn't uh, didn't expect that. Um, so you they they taught you to locate the rail. So you use the railing to go down the stairs. Oh yeah, I did. And uh, and then t- you use a lot of the single edged platform. So that would be like trailing the wall. Uh, trailing the wall or whatever was close to it. And then then. Would you like walk up towards the empty platform, to, or would you wait till the train came in and then approach it? Or? Oh no, I used to get where I wanted to be uh, uh, before a train came. So how close would you be to the, say, the edge of the platform? Oh no, I was never close to the edge. I'd be about two or three feet uh-huh. from the edge. Yeah. Would you try and find a pole to touch? Yes. Or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, boy, that train comes in, and that's something. Uh-huh. And then you board the train, and uh, locating a seat. Oh, that was never too much of a problem. I, As I do now, I try to locate a seat next to the door I'm going to be exiting out of. Right. And that's what I do now. That's what I've done all my life. Yeah. And that seems to work well, you know. So... Would you say then that um, the training that you got with the cane travel, it was a, sort of around the school, to and from your house? Was it a little around your house too, the uh, neighborhood? Yes, the mobility instructor from the lighthouse uh, taught me how to get to my church by myself, which was just like a block away. So was it more or less sort of route specific? It wasn't about learning about orientation, but it was about... Oh, it was route specific. It was, definitely. Yeah, teaching how to get your routes. Right. And and did you? When did you get your dog? Did you? How long did you travel with a cane? For? Well, I I traveled with a cane from uh, 1968 until 1981. Oh my! So you you know spent a long time with a cane. Well, I wanted a dog much early, but my family, I lived with them, and they they didn't want it. Oh. And what happened? Is in 1980, I got married. Marriage didn't work out, but I got married, and he loved dogs. Ah. So he said, uh, oh, I, I think it would be great if you had a dog. And then I did apply to... Uh, so in, in one way it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I did apply to Seeing Eye and uh, Guide Dog Foundation. And a lot of my friends went to Guide Dog Foundation, but then I read all the books about the Seeing Eye, and I was really enchanted. And then the other thing that really changed my mind is uh, 
in February uh, of, of 1981, I fell on the subway tracks. Oh, gosh. I was on the Avenue X platform, and it was very narrow going around the stairway. And I fell, and I hit my head. Oh, my. And they took me to the hospital and everything. But uh, my husband was in Florida, but my brother-in-law said, the only way not to be afraid is when you fall off the horse to get up and ride the horse again. <laughs> so as soon as I came out of the hospital, he took me right up on the same subway platform. And I got it from the Jewish Guild. When I first learned to travel in 1969, before I went to college, I didn't have, I think my cane broke or something like that. Uh -huh. I had to get a cane. And um, they sold me one. And I've had it ever since. I still have the same cane. And it's a straight cane. Uh-huh. With the crook. Yep. And does it still have a tip? Yeah, it still has a tip. <sighs> That's that's pretty much of an accomplishment, I'd have yeah. to say. So you learned on both the straight and the folding. Right. Cause, and, and you like the folding because? Well, because it's more convenient. But today I like the big rolling tip. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. And I don't do as much two-touch technique as I did. Marilyn Newman worked with me on another technique that she has of sort of rolling the tip back and forth. Uh-huh. And she has me beta testing a cane now for her that has a ball tip instead of like that, um, you know how the tip is kind of flat? Yeah. And it comes out. Well, this is like a ball. But I like the, the other kind of tip better. Uh-huh. And um, a couple of my friends says, looks like I'm using, who could see, say it looks like I'm using a ski pole. Yeah. Uh -huh. But um, I like to keep you know, some people that are dog people will not travel with a cane when they can't have a dog. Mm -hmm. But I always make a practice of in-between dogs, uh, going without a dog for about uh, three weeks or so, so that I can mourn for the one dog and prepare for the next dog. And in that interim, I usually use a cane. And when I go out with my husband, if I really don't need a dog guide, and we go to the theater or we go to a shopping mall or something like that, or even to the doctor, and I don't need to bring Pico, I bring a cane with me. Tell me what you like so much about that roller. Um, after a while, especially after I fell on the subway tracks and after I used the dog, every time I would use the two-point touch thing, I have this feeling of dizziness. Oh. And somehow this, this tip... First of all, I think you pick up more texture, mm -hmm. more differences in texture with it. It's, it's sensitive. And I also think that uh, I, don't, I feel more grounded with it. I don't have that, that sense of dizziness that yeah. I used to get with a two-touch technique. And I only got that after I, I fell on the tracks. I never had. So it might be somewhat of a psychological thing, but I still feel uh, grounded. I feel like I have more control with the rolling tip. Right. And I especially like it on subway platforms. Right. Because why? Well, again, um, we weren't taught too much to move it back and forth like that, uh, that I remember when when uh, I first learned to use a cane. Uh-huh. And it, it picks up the rough, you know, subway strips better. And uh, you're touching the edge before you're even there, especially with the larger tip. Right. 
So it, it sort of provides, I think, a measure of safety that way. Now, how long is your cane and how t compared to your height? Well, I was told by some mobility instructors that I should use a 52, but I feel more comfortable with a 48. So I could go with a 48 or a 52. Uh-huh. Now, what is it about the shorter cane that you like? I always feel like I'm tripping, tripping other people with uh -huh. it, you know? I just feel uh, it's somehow too long, uh -huh. you know? Oh, I know what Marilyn said. I should use a 46, not a 52. And I didn't feel comfortable with the shorter 46. I felt very good with the 48. And I could even use 50, and it doesn't make that much of a difference. But when you get to 52 or above, then I find that a little too long. Interesting. Have you tried any other types of mobility tools? Um, I tried that... Um, Oh, he came out to, uh, and he tried it out on me and Teresa. What's that called? The walking mate? The walk mate? Uh-huh. I tried that. And I find it good when you use a cane. And then he let me try it out. So now, does, do you hold that in your hand, or do what do you do with that? Um, I'm trying to remember. I only used it once. I think you put that over your shoulder. Uh-huh. But you use a cane as well. And what did it do? Well, it picks up different uh, sensors from the trees, the awnings, the sidewalk, things like that. And I tried it with a dog just to see um, if it was in. Mr. Lee let me. Uh, I, I think he's from New Jersey. And he, he let me do it reluctantly, though. But I said, I just want to see what happens. And with a dog, it's too confusing because... You're not really letting your dog lead yeah. that way. But with a cane, um, I would think it would be all right. I found that there were too many sounds. It, it got confusing to me to hear all these sounds. But if I did it every day, right. it would pro I would probably like it. Yeah. And if I didn't have a dog for any reason, I would get one of those walkmates. Neat. So now how compare and contrast... Um, Going with a dog, going with a cane. What's where are the differences? Where are the similarities? Well, the differences are that you can travel. M m I think much faster with a dog than you can with a cane. Mm -hmm. The reason being is you don't have to locate objects. The dog will take you around them. Right. And you don't have anything in your hand that's like a stick to get in your way, and you can actually go much faster that way. Neat. The, the disadvantage that I find is I, I think sometimes it's good to trail, you know, something, whatever you're, you're looking at, a wall, or to know that there's an absolute landmark there. Mm -hmm. With a dog, it's hard to do that. A dog is not going to walk against a wall. Right. They're just not going to do it. But if you have a good dog, now this uh, Pico is not as good as my last dog. My last dog, you could take her to a building once, once, and go back three months later, and she would remember how to walk in there. And my first dog, the same way. Uh, you know, it just depends on the dog. There are some dogs that are very good like that. Yeah. But amazingly enough, Pico would always fool around on 23rd Street when I lived on 23rd. Oh, and up here, she finds the house, like, perfectly. Huh. She turns right in. I just don't know what it is. She, 
too. She's a country dog or something. And I find parking lots easier to do with dogs than, than I did with a cane. What do you mean? In the suburbs. You know, if you have to go through a parking lot to uh-huh. get into a store, I find that easier. Because of the, your directness? The uh, dir- yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, I just find it's much freer to, to travel with a dog. But I, I think a blind person should be, uh, you know, they should be know both. Yeah. It's important to know both. And to, at certain times, uh, you can't go with your dog. Like when Sal was in intensive care. I couldn't bring my dog up there because he was on all these machines. Yeah. And I was also afraid my dog would see him and get all excited. And, yeah. you know, and I didn't want that. And he was really very close to death. Mm-hmm. So I had to use, I felt that in that circumstances, you know, a cane should be used. So there are certain times that, you know, I have used a cane because I, I just, it, like, for example, I really don't like unless I can help it, to take my dogs to Shea Stadium. Oh. Because it's not comfortable for them. And if you go in the afternoon, it's awful for them because it's sunny. And there are just certain places, like when I go on vacation, I don't take my dog. Uh, because I don't want to leave the dog cooped up in a hotel. So, and my husband has enough vision. Right. And one year we went on a bird watching expedition, and you wouldn't want to bring a Labrador on a bird watching. No. <laughs> no, you would not. <laughs> and another time we went on Niagara Falls um, Cave of the Winds. And I don't even know if you've ever done it. No. But you walk behind the falls. First, wow. he looked at me on. He goes, I can't let any blind people go go on this. I said, you ever heard of the Americans with Disabilities Act? Good for you. Go right ahead. So, <laughs> so I had my cane, and my, you know, Sal's partially sighted, but he's not good in dimly, dimly lit areas. And this was all this water and spray behind the falls, and you had to go up, up hills and downstairs and this and that. I was way ahead of him. He kept saying, Maureen, where are you? I said, it's every man and woman for themselves. <laughs> and I made it through fine. And in Disney World, I... I uh, so what was that like? Being I've been to Niagara Falls, but I didn't take... Uh, oh, it's wonderful. Is it I really loud in there? Or? Oh, it is loud. Yeah, but I you bet. Can follow. Actually, you can't... I mean, you could get lost, but you shouldn't. There's a lot of rails. Uh huh. As long as you follow, you're all right. And is it really wet? Oh yes. <laughs> and when I got out of there, the guy goes, "You want to do it again?" I said, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> I doubt that. Is it cold? Yes, it's yeah. cold. Yeah. And then um, in Disney World, uh, I, do, I don't bring Pico to Disney World because, uh, or or Zoe because uh, you know Florida is an awful climate for labs. Yeah. If you don't live there, it's right. not a good idea to take them there because they might get fleas. Oh, sure. Right. But we went to, uh, you know, we did everything. Uh, and now Sal's using a long white cane, but he had a support vision cane when we went to uh, Disney World. And we went horseback riding and we went to the uh, Animal Kingdom. And I went on all rides. He couldn't take it after the first one, he gave up. But I did Space Mountain and all of them. By myself. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, how do you get uh, to and from work? 
and I'm not late, I walk from 56th and Lexington to 1st. Mm -hmm. But you know that some of my work uh, requires field work. So, um, you know, sometimes it's not practical for me to take the Riverdale bus. Let's say the person's in Queens. Right. Okay? Then I would take a bus to the number one train and take the number one train to Times Square and uh, switch for the flushing line or whatever line I had to take to go out, depending where the person lived, to go out to Queens. So usually when I'm in the field, if it's not a Bronx deal or Washington Heights, then I, I will probably take the uh, subway into Manhattan and then switch for some train going to Queens or Brooklyn, depending on where I have to go. Do you have any tips that you would pass along in terms of uh, the bus transit, taking it? Well, I think, you know, even though that we've said that they make announcements, okay, now this morning this happened to me. Third time I got this guy on the, on the express bus. Third time he passed my stop. Of course he told me it was my fault, but he's the only driver I have this trouble with. Uh. Other than that, I don't have any trouble. So I think that um, uh, you have to remind, you know, sometimes they're supposed to announce the stops. Right. But if they don't, you have to ask the person next to you where you are. And you can usually tell them, I think I might have fallen asleep is what I think happened. Oh. But um, I like to sit in the back of the express bus with Pico. Because otherwise, you know, she's, you know, in the aisle and people pet her and yeah. that. Where I find we go in the back, it's very wide, and she's a little arthritic, and it's warmer back there for her, especially in the winter. But also, we have much more room. I have more room for my feet, and nobody trips on her, and she's not in anyone's way. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, you do have to be specific, and you do have to have uh, a good sense of public relations with the drivers and with the other passengers. Um I mean, you know, it, it happens that they do. Even on local buses, go past your stop. And I think you have to be gracious and say, um, well, you know, you really did pass my stop. And either he'll say, you never told me, which uh. often is the case, or, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Often is the case is what he'll say to you? Uh, no, what I meant was, uh, you know, they usually will say to you, uh, you didn't tell right. me or you didn't remind me or whatever the case might be. Now it's gotten better since the transit authority requires that there be announcements made, especially at the cross streets like, you know, 57th, sure. 42nd, 23rd, the larger streets. Um, it has gotten much better. And the crosstown streets, the drivers tend to announce all the stops. So it, it's much better now than it ever used to be. Oh, that's good. Uh, I think. Yeah. Um, I still have my problems with the subways, and cabs with guide dogs are still the biggest bugaboo I have. I, I have three hearing, three cases going with the Taxi and Limousine Commission at the moment. You, yourself? Yep. Wow. Three of them. Because they wouldn't let you in? Right. They wouldn't pick me up with a dog. Now, how, how did you get their um, light, their tag number? Well, the first one was a taxi service the Linden Taxi Service, and um, uh, my father was dying at the VA in St. Albans, and I went to see him, and Sal and I wanted to make a quick trip to the subway, because on Sundays, you know, the buses really sure. take a long time. 
to get back to Archer Avenue. So um, we asked the VA person at the desk if they knew of a car service, and they did, and they called them. And he came and he goes, I don't like dogs. I'll send you somebody who does. Well, nobody came. So they called them back and said, we won't accept dogs of any kind. So the VA told me the name of the car service. The other two times, Sal, the numbers are lit up on the top. And the second time, I was coming from Animal Medical Center, and uh, I was standing on the corner with Sal, and Sal hailed a cab, and the guy said, I'm sorry I don't take dogs. So this guy, this bystander on the street said, you know, that's against the law. And he read the number to Sal. Good. And then the third time, it was New Year's Eve. And the big mistake the guy made was he backed up, got out of the car, and said to Sal, I'm sorry, I'm Muslim, I can't take dogs. So Sal walked right up to the cab and could see the number. Good. Because it was lit up. Yep. And that's how we did it. And, and so the first time, were you stranded at the VA? I mean, how did you? Well, we called another car service. And finally found one that would right. uh, comply uh -huh. with the law. Yes. And, and the other times, it was, again, the same thing. You had to get another Yes, we always person. had to get, yeah. to get another case. And I've been to them several times already. Yeah. And I've won every time but once. And so, that was the last time I had a hearing. And actually, Sal went for me. But we didn't win because this judge was kind of stupid. And this guy said, oh, he had picked up guide dogs, and he got a, uh, an award from the TLC for taking a guy with a guide dog to the VA in Brooklyn. Well, that's fine. But the, the offense is not failing to pick up a guide dog. The offense is always failing to take a passenger to their destination. And the reason is because they won't pick up someone with a guide dog. But he should have been fined anyway because he said to the judge, well, I saw him, but I had already picked up something else, somebody else or something like that. I already saw the other person, so I passed him up. Now, he admitted he actually saw Sal and I. Right. And he should have been fined for that, but he, but he wasn't. But that's the only time I ever lost. I've been about, oh, maybe ten times to the TLC. So what do you usually win? I mean... Well, I don't win anything personally, but the driver gets fined. Uh-huh. And the driver gets points on his uh, uh, cab license. Wow. And if he if he uh, doesn't pay the fine, he can't renew his license. Right. So it definitely is a, a, a worth uh, pursuing because it's going to get the message across sooner or later that this is, you know, not acceptable. Yeah, I, I just think it's ridiculous. And it's the Middle Eastern cab drivers that right. I have the trouble with all the time, all the time. How do you handle, uh, once you're in the cab, um, being in control or, you know, giving control or, you know, money issues? With well, you? I have a little more trouble now because... The cabs are more narrow, mm -hmm. and Pico's a big dog, yeah. and I try to get her on the floor, but sometimes, now that she's arthritic, it's even harder. It's, it, you know what I mean? It's, sometimes it's so narrow. Oh, yeah. The older cabs are much wider. Yeah. That if she gets on the seat, I don't yell at her anymore because there's nowhere for her to go, practically. Yeah. But she's pretty good. She sits down, and she's very nice. You know, she's. Uh, a quiet girl. She loves to look out the window and stuff. But she's very good like that. She She's good. She's well controlled. Well, and in terms of um, not so much, con you know, I had no doubt that Pico is a good girl. Um, but 
taking charge of the the where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, um, what way they might take you, how much they might charge you. Well, um, I'm very specific, especially because a lot of them don't speak English that yeah. well. I never say 70th anymore. I say 70 because they get that mixed up with something else, uh-huh. you know. And I always give them the cross streets. Yeah. Because it's one thing, and I'll say if if I'm going uptown and I know it's on my right side, I'll tell them. I don't always know because it may be someplace I never was before and that I'm going to in a hurry and I was only there once before. But I always try to be very specific about the addresses and, and so forth like that. And usually I never have any trouble. Uh, but occasionally you get guys who just don't speak English. Like the time Sal and I were in a hurry and I was reading uh, lecturing for Cardinal O'Connor at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Oh, and uh, the guy didn't know where St. Patrick's was. <laughs> Okay. Now, in in other uh, cities uh, like Chicago, I find they're very good. Uh, they seem to have English, you know, a lot of cab drivers that speak English. Uh, Washington, they seem to have a lot of cab drivers that speak English. Boston, Atlanta's like here. Okay, everybody's from the Middle East. Right. So. So. Um, well, you made an interesting comment to me, which is. If I've been there before and I know it's on the right, um, how, you go to a lot of new places. I mean, obviously new clients and uh, what have you. What kind of, how do you know which street, it's, where it's going to be? And uh, Well, for example, if there's um, some of my doctors, if I'm in a hurry and I know exactly where they are, mm-hmm. or um, I know where the building is where I work, I know 23rd Street, even though I don't live there anymore, I sometimes will visit a friend and, you know, if it's, I've had a really bad day or something and I take a cab just to make time. Or St. Vincent's Hospital, my husband's been in there so many times, and I know how to tell them to go there. These are places that I've been to fairly frequently. Right. And, um, like, Cindy taught me to um, Cindy Shaw. I don't know if you know Cindy. Sure, she yeah. used to work for you guys. And uh, she told me, like, how the building is trimmed and what kind of stone I asked her, what it looked like. Neat. So I could be descriptive with the with the cab driver. Like here, I know, you know, that when you get to Riverdale Avenue, you make a left, and then you make another left again. And, uh, you know, that my house is on the left, and that you can drive around the circle and come in right in front of my house. So, you know, it's real easy up here because, you know, it's just two lefts from Riverdale Avenue when you're here. Right. Right. Um, so, that's, that's that. Um, with the, uh, with the uh, money, yeah, were, are you ever concerned that they're going to take you the long way someplace? Or uh? I have been. But for the most part, that hasn't happened. Uh-huh. Uh, only, you know, once or twice have I had, you know, problems like that. But very, um, they would have done it to anybody. You know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't a question that I was blind. They would have ripped anybody off if they could. Do you have any strategies for preventing that? or anyway? Well, if it's a regular route that I know, and I know sort of what the fare is going to be, 
then if it's very much over that, I would discuss it. I'd say, you know, usually it is. And if I knew that we didn't get stuck in traffic. Right. Okay, I would say usually the fare is thus and so. That's what I'd say. Uh -huh. But as, as I said, it very seldom happens. Yeah. Um, have you ever been disoriented? Yes, especially if I get, uh, I can remember one time uh, one of my dogs uh, uh, lost a toenail and it was bleeding and I took her to Animal Medical and they removed it and they sedated her and they told me take a cab home. Well, I got this guy who really couldn't speak English so well and he told me he couldn't find 135 West 23rd. There was no such address. No, I had lived there for, for years and I knew sure. there was such an address. So I said, all right, let me out, and I really didn't know where I was, and it was late at night, like, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Here I've got this sedated dog who I can't depend on to get me anywhere really safely. I wouldn't. My goodness. And finally these two girls came along, and I told them, and uh, they were very nice, and they said, oh, you're directly across the street from 135. Uh. So they helped me, but I mean, you know, uh, that I, that's happened. Or sometimes a driver will not let you off exactly in front of the building. <laughs> They'll let you off across the street from the building. Uh. And you do get disoriented. And very often, if I'm totally uh, not sure, uh, seeing I always says, when in doubt, ask. Uh -huh. And so I do. Because I don't want to do a diagonal crossing. I don't want to do something that could be dangerous. So I do ask exactly where I am. But, you know, people don't know east and west and north and south. Right. If you say, like even when I get off the Riverdale bus, I'll say to the driver, well, which side of 56 are you on? He'll go, well, 56 is to your left. But that's not answering my question. <laughs> he doesn't know. They don't know north from south. Right. But when I was taught that at the lighthouse, I was taught north and south and east and west. Yeah. And so, you use it. And, and, I, and, I re and it's easy in New York City to use that formula because it really works. Sure. So, but there's so many people that just don't know that, you know. Uh, and you'll say to them, uh, is this, uh, you know, 60th and, well, you're between. No, no, they'll go, yeah. Uh, yeah, what? 60th and what's the cross street? Well, there's a street here called Third and one called Sixth. I said, well, where do they intersect? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. You know, things like that. Yeah. So you really have to know what you're doing. Yeah. The one thing that, that I am glad happens today is that little children are taught to use a cane very young. Oh, yeah? And I think that the fears have had less chances developed in but time for mom to say to you, oh, I don't want you traveling, da-da-da-da-da. I think if a child has a cane in their hand, when they begin at six or seven, it's almost second nature to them. Yeah. Then when they have to use it for major travel, it's not, it's a part of them by then. And I think also using it to locate, to go around obstacles and to trail and that type of thing, and knowing, you know, indoor mobility techniques, then by the time they have to use it for something major, they're so accustomed to it that they don't have to worry about the fear of using the stick, the fear of being seen with the stick, you know, which many teenagers 
I worked in the public schools for a while, and the teenagers just hated using the including myself. I can remember um, I went, I was in Ronnie Gilligan's pre-college program. Oh, my. And uh, I went out with uh, this guy I met, and he was partially sighted, so I didn't bring my cane. So this was Syracuse University, very vast campus. So Ronnie Gilligan comes up behind me, and she taps me, and she said, where's your cane? And I said, he's with me. And she said, that's not very funny. And I said, well, why isn't it? I don't want to use a cane. She said, you don't. Well, she said, how would you like to see what it's like not to use a cane and have to go somewhere? She said, just turn around. Jim, let go of her. Now, find your way back to the dormitory by yourself. She followed me, of course. But I never did it again. I never did it again without uh -huh. a cane. It taught me a lesson. Yeah. I realized I couldn't do it without a cane. But if she hadn't done that, uh, I would have done the same thing over and over again. Interesting. But you sort you had travel without a cane uh, for most of your school life. I mean, I guess that's why I thought I could do it. Yeah. Because the institute was so familiar to us, you know. Yeah. You know, I was thinking I, I didn't really ask you. Um, of all your mobility instruction now, do you remember ever sort of, you know, doing it where, where they weren't with you, but it was like a, a lesson, or were they always with you, or? Well, it depended. Uh, lots of times they would have me learn something, and then they'd follow far behind. Uh-huh. And, um, I, you know, uh, I remember that I had an instructor with the Jewish Guild who this is what she said, that I took off without her, and she couldn't catch up with me, and I did the whole trip and thought she was there, and she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd that make you feel? I laughed. I thought it was funny. Uh -huh. And um, I've had many mobility instructors. I, I, I had Martin Yublonsky. Oh, really? Right back when, and he was an excellent instructor. Oh, I bet. And Gene uh, McMahon. My. Did some, uh, work with me in Brooklyn. Neat. And then always when I get a dog, I usually have the instructor come home with me, only because every dog is different, and, uh, you know, the, the, dog, the trainer will help me pattern the dog to find the house and the major points that I need to find. And when I came up to, uh, to Yonkers, I didn't want a mobility instructor as much as I wanted a guide dog person because... I sort, of, I sort of knew where I was going, but I had never done parking lots except at seeing I. I never had any reason to do parking oh, lots in Manhattan. Sure. So, and uh, forget about country travel. Last time I was there, I didn't do it because it was in the middle of the winter. Yeah. And it, but not only that, they didn't see any point in making me do it uh, when I really, when the good days we had, it was that 96 and we had a lot of snow. Yeah. And the good days we had, the trainer would take me into New York City. So I never got a chance. They usually like you to do one morning of traveling in suburbia in the country. And I didn't get to do it, never thinking I would ever move to Yonkers. So then when I moved to Yonkers, they came up and they worked with me for about um, a half a day. And, you know, gave me some pointers and showed me that the safest way to get into the shopping center and all that without going through the parking lot. I thought I had to, but they showed me another way. 
So it's very good like that. And if I had continued to have trouble, I was going to get, you know, Cindy to come up and uh, work with me. Interesting. So um, at what phases in your life, in your career, would you get, say, Martin or Jean? You know, what 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 was going on? Well, Martin, I uh, went to graduate school at Long Island University. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got him is because they had so much construction in the area. And they, the phone company was building a building, and they had very large drops and all of that. And it wasn't a particularly nice area. They've since, uh, it was a bit on the slummy side. And uh, my counselor felt it would be best if I had some, you know, training to, you know, for my safety. And I had Jean because um, I got married. And I lived in Manhattan Beach in Brooklyn, and it was like, a bridge across the bay, and it was, again, kind of like suburbia. And I'd never lived in, in that part of New York City ever. And I wanted to be certain that my route to work was smooth and that I got there on time and so forth. And I wanted to be able to go to the supermarket by myself and all of that. So those are the times I, uh, I got a mobility instructor. And the other time was um, uh, Cindy Shaw worked with me. Uh, but she told me, you know, when you use a cane, do me a favor and don't take the subways. You're such a wreck. Oh, my goodness. She said, you're good. Your technique is good. But she said, your whole demeanor changes. When you go in the subway, she said, you look so frightened. Uh, I really feel sorry for you because I know that you remember what happened. Yeah. She said, and when you're with a dog, it's completely different. So um, I thought I'd have to retire Zoe back in 90. And she had very severe ulcerative colitis. So it, it turned out they got her on a food and animal medical, and she's okay, she was okay. But um, Cindy gave me some brush-up cane techniques just in case I had to retire her. But I was glad she had because really I had forgotten a lot, you know, not using it every day. Yeah. So, but I, you know, some guide dog users will not have mobility instruction in between dogs. And... I know one person who won't even use a cane. She just stops. She stops working. She stops living. And that's really kind of ridiculous. I mean, a dog could die at any time or get get sick or, mm. or whatever. Mm. And I think you have to know both skills. Um, when you're traveling to new consumers' houses now, is that mostly by um, car? Or? Well, uh, no. It's usually public transportation. Uh -huh. And Therese likes me to have an escort with me, not because I can't travel, but to find the numbers on the buildings and the apartments, and especially if it's not a good area. Yeah. But most of the time, we travel by public transportation, buses right. and trains and everything. And I'll try to meet my escort. I don't meet her in the office or him in the office. I'll meet them. I try to find something that's easy for them and easy for me and in... Um, straight proximity with the uh, consumer, whoever we're going to see. So we try to arrange a place that I can find them easily and they can find me easily, and it's pretty central. Neat. So that's how we get, believe me, I've had thousands, I have had many escorts. Some were real flops and others were really great because uh, even though they could see, some of them did not know directions. 
Yeah. I'd wait for 15, 20 minutes for them, and I'd be very exact, and I'd say meet me at the number one train, and they'd be at the E train and all of that, you know. Yeah. But it was always public transportation, and I used to have my lunch on top of a garbage can while I was waiting for the subway. That's when I used to go out three days a week. Oh, no, it was all public transportation. Uh, very seldom did I ever get a car to where I had to go. So it's, but it's, it's the, the real skill is also arranging with this other person then to, oh, yes. to be and with then the Oh, yes, getting escort. that person to guide you properly. Right. To tell that other person, please, don't do diagonal crossings because it's, with the dog, you're not supposed to do that. Right. Okay. And getting them to remember that, which they always don't remember. And then I always have the directions written down for my escort. Mm-hmm. I used to have a guy that mapped out the routes from the subway maps and the atlases. Now he's in a nursing home. So now I have to do my own map. Uh. But he was so good at it, it was unbelievable. I mean, this guy could tell you how to get anywhere. Anywhere in any kind of transportation. In fact, he was my escort until he really became too old and sick to do it. And he was great. I mean, he knew everything. Landmarks. He looked them up on the map and write them in and everything like that. Neat. Now, did you uh, did you pay this person? Um. Well, when he was my escort, I did, uh-huh. and then afterwards, when he did my maps. He was such a poor old soul. I'd buy him a meal or I'd, you know, get a film for his camera or something like that. You know, I'd help him out with a few odds and ends there. Neat. Um, and, do, and do you train them to assist you in any way in the, in the home? Um, yes, e- even when they haven't been um, uh, VRAs. <laughs> um, usually... They'll be very good about, uh, uh, what I used to have to train them was to locate the signature line, uh-huh. assist the client in putting the guide on it to sign, and uh, stuff like that, really. And uh, I now I have to fill out a lot of forms, and so not only can should the person just be able to escort you, but they've got to be able to read forms. And, um, you know... Most of my escorts have been very kind to my clients, and they're usually very solicitous. But, yeah, there's a lot of training that goes on, uh, like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go, oh, there's a chair there. Well, where is the chair? You right. know, I have to train them, you know. And, uh, you know, a couple of times I've had to say to them, you know, you don't say this to a client. and uh, yeah. You must be very careful about what you say and so forth and so on. And a couple of people I had to get rid of. They, it just didn't work out or, sure. uh, you know, for various reasons, their behavior wasn't what I thought it should be or their uh, grooming ability and all of that. Sure. So I've had a few flops that lasted, one guy lasted one day with me. <laughs> well, you have high standards. Well, actually, should. it was him, too. Um, he was a convert from Judaism, and he'd go with me to the clients and preach about Jesus. Oh, I couldn't go into a, no. a Jewish woman's house and have him do that. No. And when I asked him to stop, he quit. Uh, yeah. But he was really strange, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a couple of times, I did have the students from LaGuardia that Charles Shorter used to send me. 
that were doing had to do some like social service internship and they worked with me and uh, one guy was very good he was very good and he learned a lot uh, the other guy was learning disabled and I had a lot of trouble with him but you're going to have trouble with escorts because they don't get paid that well yeah. and especially when there's snow and rain then you know I had a few good ones who came all the time but they go, oh, it's raining, oh, it's snowing. I mean, you want a job? You want a job. That's all there is to it. So what do you do when, if, I mean, when you're stood up? Well, it depends how safe the area is. If I don't find it too bad, I go alone. But now Therese really doesn't want me to. Yeah. You know, she's what Now, Michelle was my escort before sure. uh, she became a VRA. And uh, I never had a problem with her uh, standing me up or anything like that or... Uh, my Lillian, who now works for Catholic Charities full-time, I never had trouble with her either. And those are the only two times I ever had women as escorts, and they were both very good. Uh-huh. Before that, I always had men. Neat. <clears throat> uh, so you mean you go alone. So you, you always know exactly where you're going. Or if it was a brand-new place, would you maybe have to not go to the place because you've never been there before? Well, no, I don't think that that would be an issue if, if they didn't show up. It would be uh, it would be a safety issue. Safety, yeah. And, you know, how deserted was it? What kind of neighborhood was it in? That yeah. type of thing. Yeah. How bad was the building in disrepair? I don't like to go into housing projects without an escort. Yeah. So I don't anymore. I won't. And yeah. Therese knows that. Uh, uh, Cindy was mugged, and oh, um, I was mugged in my mother's own project. Oh my gosh! So I going to visit my mother. Oh my gosh! So um, I uh, really don't like project elevators, you know, and, and things like that. It's really, it's not good. No. So I try not to do it. How do you feel about traveling alone to unfamiliar places? Oh, I'll do it, especially if it's for my own uh, reasons. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, obviously, I have an escort at work because it's a safety and, a, you know, a insurance and compensation issue. But when I travel alone, um, I go to unfamiliar places if I have to. How do you necessary. How do you prepare for travel to an unfamiliar place? Well, I try to get as much information as I can about the building and the street and landmarks that are that are in the vicinity. Like Sal and I are going with Karen to the um, Museum of Science. All assigned to having audio tours. Mm -hmm. But before that, we're going to meet Karen at a restaurant near her home. So I was talking to Karen uh, yesterday, last night, and she told me exactly how to go and I asked her for landmarks, like she said, get out um, the exit nearest to Genevieve's, and then when you walk down the next block, you pass, you can ask someone, there's trade fair. Well, Sal has vision. But still, I like to know these landmarks yeah. so that even if I don't have anybody who can see with me, I could say, well, have a name like uh, Cow Gardens or something like that, or, you know, are there steps into your building, or... Um, is there a supermarket across the street, or is this some drugstore or church or something that, you know, I would know, Neat. you know, could say to someone, 
there should be a, something directly across the street. Then I know exactly where I am. Yeah. So, so, so you like, so you like to get the landmarks. I do. And and then you you know you can use them to say to uh, when you're soliciting aid. Right. Exactly. Right. Terrific. I think the landmarks are just very important, and um, it's a good thing to know even if you travel in a cab to an unfamiliar place because you can say to the driver. It's right across the street from Pathmark or yeah. whatever it happens to be. And then, you know, you're more likely to end up in the right place. Neat. Um, how do you establish your position in the environment? Well, um, I listen and I try to first and foremost figure out exactly where the traffic is in relation to me. And then when I do that, for example, let's say a cab driver does drop me off in the wrong place, I'll try to figure out from listening to the traffic and listening to a noise on the sidewalk whether I'm in the right direction or not. You know, did he leave me on the wrong side of the street or did he just leave me a block down? And very often I will have to solicit aid, but for example, when I'm... A couple of times it's happened that the snow and the winds threw me and Pico off course a couple of times. But if I listen for the Riverdale Avenue traffic, which is a lot of traffic, it's not a small street, and I can line the Riverdale traffic up with the side of my body, and I know that um, if I come out and the Riverdale traffic is on my left, on my right, I know that I'm going north, and I don't want to go north, so I turn around and I head south and the traffic is on my left. So especially um, listening for, for where the traffic is, I think, is, and how much traffic there is. Yes. You can have a pretty good idea, idea from that of which is the wider street and which is the narrower street. And you can listen to those boxes on the corner. If you hear that boom, boom, you know, sound that they make sometimes. What boxes on the corner? You know, the light. What are oh. they light boxes or for yeah. where the traffic light right. switches? Now, it's you know sometimes I never depend on clicks because clicks you can't depend on for a light all the time, but at least you know you're near a corner. Yeah. Well, absolutely. So you know, in, in that in that case, you know, I will tell you, I won't tell you, I've never gotten disoriented because um, there are times because of instruction, the bus stops in a different place. Or tonight, they had a lot of construction. They're building this uh, classic uh, senior manor by Hyatt, and they have these metal plates on the ground. Well, today, they extended all the way out into the street. Uh, and the reason I was scared to death because there was ice coating uh, these metal plates. And, uh, but Pico took me out in the street because she didn't want to walk on it either. <laughs> but um, it had changed from this morning. They didn't have so much construction going out wow. on the street this morning. They just had the plates there. And then last week, they didn't have them there at all. And then the week before, they had them there. So when they're doing construction like this, and then a couple, about uh, six weeks ago, they had the whole sidewalk torn open because they were putting in water pipes all the way from here down through the College of Mount St. Vincent, which is about three or four blocks. 
So there were ditches yeah. and boards and everything like that. Makes it another good reason for a dog. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, have you used, do you use maps of any kind? Truthfully, I'm not good at maps, but I did go through the training with Baruch for the subway maps. And I do think the subway maps are excellent because from the key you can discover the levels and whether it's a double-edged platform and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, I'm awful at reading maps. When we get them at AER, yes. I say, oh, thank you very much, and I put it in my bag because <laughs> I'm terrible at reading maps. And I don't know if that's blindness or I'm just not a graphic person. Mm -hmm. Because I know people that see that are terrible at reading maps. Yeah. They're just not map readers. Yeah. So I don't know if it is my... I was never in, in high school a geometry person. Right. You know, I was never the type of person who looked at... Who really was good at any kind of... Even biology graphs and things like that. So, you know what I mean? I just don't think I'm a map person. I don't know if it has as much to do with vision as it has to do with what I'm good at. Were you ever... Did anybody try to teach you to use maps other than... Uh... Well, seeing I had a good map, they had good maps. And when I first uh, uh, went to the lighthouse, they had this map of the streets. You could actually, like, they'd indent the streets and all that kind of stuff. But it's a, if it's a map with all these braille circles and lines and stuff on it, then I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So, like, in at the Institute, did they have a class on or did your mobility instructor teach you how like how to no, read no no we didn't have any maps then the only time we had maps was in geography class <laughs> but no no we didn't do it it was only the first time i ever saw a map for mobility was my instructor ann walsh at the lighthouse showed me the map they had uh -huh. and that was the first time i ever saw a map for mobility purposes and then the next time i saw one again was when i went to seeing eye right so geography, that, that was obviously tactile maps, right? Oh, yeah, they were great. You could yeah. See the mountains and the hills and everything. Did that help pull anything together for you or solve any well, riddles? Well, not in terms of mobility, but to know where the states were. Uh -huh. Like we had a puzzle, and uh, we had a lot of fun with the teacher one time. We took it apart, and we put all the parts in the drawer. And he said, now that you've done that, now all of us were totally blind. Now that done that you could just sit down and put this thing together and we did neat so uh, it was fun as a game but yeah. it, did it also sort of I don't know put things in perspective in terms of north south east and west or yeah and that's um, the mobility maps that uh, the overview maps that Baruch has of Manhattan and uh -huh. Bronx that gives you a good idea of exactly you know, where things are in New York City, like where the Bronx is in relation to Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, where Van Cortland is in, in relation to the rest of the Bronx. Neat. So in that sense, it, it I think it's very good. And I thought the training was very good with the map. Neat. Neat. Um, what one thing that happens frequently when you're traveling that you like the least? Um, I like, uh, well, first of all, what I like the very least is uh, I find the traffic, ha and I just had a discussion with Seeing Eye about this, 
especially when you know you have the light and they're not supposed to turn and you know they're not supposed to turn right and they turn in front of you yeah and you know you have the right away and the other thing that disturbs me now is trucks will come right into the crosswalk and because you don't know where you're in the, the, the light cycle you know you wait for the beginning of the next light cycle but because the sky has blocked up you can't do anything right you have to wait till either he moves and all not only you are backed up the rest of the traffic is backed up yeah so the thing that disturbs me that I don't remember having years ago was this an awful lot of gridlock yeah and it's very hard on the dogs I can imagine a cane traveler but even on the dogs it's very hard I mean, if they veer diagonally, you almost can't get mad at them. Yeah. Because someplace there's nowhere to go and they take the path of least resistance. Yeah. And drivers are not as nice. You know, uh, I've been in other cities where they stop on the dime when they see a cane or a dog. Not here. Right. Not here at all. Um, what do you want sighted pedestrians to do when they want to help? Well... I think they should always ask, and I think that all people that are blind should refuse kindly, say, no, I don't require your assistance. I usually will accept, unless I think the person's been drinking or I get a bad feeling about them. Uh -huh. Then I say, oh, thank you very much. I can, you know, I'm able to do it alone. But I would just prefer that they ask me and that they... They're so anxious to take your arm. And you'll tell them, you'll try to take their arm so that you don't have to say anything. No, they grab your arm again. <laughs> so finally I have to say, you know, the proper way to guide is to let me take, take your elbow. But uh, you'd be surprised how often I have to say that. Yeah. Uh, because if you don't do that, and it's happened to me numerous times, sometimes you say, oh, the hell with it. I'll, I'll take it <laughs> And you don't know how many times I have been left in the middle of the street. Oh. So I really try to uh, develop that security of, 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 of grabbing their elbow. Mm. So they or just the let go. Drag me across the street by the cane or by the dog's harness. Yeah. So you'll be walking along the street, they have your arm, and then all of a sudden they just let go? Yeah. They go, oh, you can take it the rest of the way. Or, I got to run and catch a bus, you know, this type of thing. Man, thanks, but no thanks. Right. But you got to expect in New York, you're sure. just going to find all kinds of people. How do you handle being lost or disoriented? Well, it depends how much in a hurry I am and, you know, where I'm going, you know, where it ranks in importance in my life, okay? Um, if I'm going to something of a serious nature and I'm lost, I'm frantic. And I tend to be more hyper and, y you know, I'm not as well behaved as I, I would be under a circumstance where I sort of know where I am, but I just have to locate the building. Yeah. But what I seem to notice is so many people who can see don't know what's around them. Yeah. I mean, it could be the next building, and they don't know it's there. I mean, people are just so oblivious to 
their environment and they'll say, oh, I worked here for 10 years and never noticed it or something like that. And it just amazes me how comatose people could be. Yeah. And um, you'll love this story. I was going around the corner one day and uh, I had a suitcase. This was several years ago. I was coming from somewhere. And uh, this guy literally smashed into me. It wasn't Pico's fault. She couldn't get out of his way in time. It wasn't Pico. It was Zoe then. So the guy says to me without looking, what's the matter? Are you blind? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. Well, the guy turned around and he was mortified. And I said, oh, good for him. And he goes, uh, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. Can I carry your suitcase? I said, no, thank you. That's okay. And I kept going. But that was one of the funniest experiences I ever had because the guy was just so mortified. Um, so people don't know where they are, and, and that's pretty funny. They, you know, you ask someone, and I've talked to people, and they said, you know, yeah, I asked for help, but but usually the first guy is an idiot, you know, or something. Like you always have to allow for one idiot who doesn't know anything. Or no. they'll go, no, speak English. I send you five months. No, speak English. How do you locate someone to ask assistance from? Well. I stand, you know, I try to get to a corner. That's usually the best place to find someone, if I can. And um, I try to listen for someone passing by. And I say, pardon me, uh, could you help me? Now people are more afraid to help than ever. I guess they think you're going to ask for a handout or something. <laughs> but 20 years ago, uh, or when I first started traveling in the late 60s, you never had trouble getting help. Never. But it, it's just much harder now. Now, maybe it's harder because I have the dog and people are afraid of the dog or whatever. But I don't think that that's it because I have friends who use canes. Yeah. And, you know, you could stand a light for three cycles. I have an older blind friend. He's, he's uh, going to be 80 in March. And his hearing is not so good anymore. So he really doesn't like to cross streets without assistance. And he told me he could wait practically forever. You know, until someone comes along. And years ago, that was never true. Mm. People would come and help you all the time. So it's whether people are in their own world or they're afraid or they don't know how to approach it or because we have such an immigrant population that has some strange ideas about blindness, which they do in other yeah. countries. I don't, I don't know what it has. Or people just generally don't care like they once did. But uh, I, I don't think... Uh, people are as ready to help as they used to be. Interesting. Um, what kinds of things do you use as landmarks? Um, poles. Um, now, my street here is uh, a hilly street, and I know I'm on the correct street when, when Pico makes that turn, and there's a hill right there. Um, I can't use my sense of smell anymore because I've had so many sinus surgeries. So I can't depend on it, which is too bad because that used to be a great one, especially if there were a bakery or something around, you know? Yeah. But it's things like, uh, oh, where there might be, like, for example, before I turn the corner of the building, I go into a work, there's a coffee stand there in the morning. Okay, and that's a good look. It's not always there, but it is there in the morning. Uh-huh. 
and uh, uh, things like that. Like if there's an, uh, a deli with one of those fruit things that extend outward. You know, those fruit stands with all the fruit and the flowers. Well, if you're walking with um, Pico, Coles, those kinds of things, they get avoided, don't they? They do, but if I were disoriented, I usually know that there's been a pole or th th if I'm on a corner, um, especially if it's in the area where I work, I know the names of some of the stores, you know, around, and I know exactly where I am. But even when you come through a place like a deli, even though she goes around it, it's a tight squeeze. Uh -huh. I know there's things around me. Yeah. Okay, I know there's things out on the sidewalk. By the way, she's reacting. Right. Because it's a tight squeeze. Neat. And she has to go around a lot of things. Yeah. So I use uh, anything I possibly can as a landmark. Anything. Neat. From a subway entrance. Like, for example, the, the, uh, uh, I know that the, when I get on the bus at 61st Street and 3rd, the Riverdale bus, I know there's a hosiery st store there. I know that the last crossing, there's a subway before, an entrance before I make that crossing. And I know that the city bus stops just behind my bus. Uh, so I try to, to set myself up right there because I know exactly when I'm in front of a 34th Street, I know that the bus stops in front of a pizza place. I know that up here, it stops, it's a big avenue, but on the other side of the street is the bakery. So I, I've learned the names of my buildings so that if I'm ever disoriented, I can ask them. That's great. And I know exactly where I am. So you'll just say, like, is so-and-so bakery nearby or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Neat. Or do you see something like, is that what you would do? Right. That's what I do. Do you belong to any professional or consumer organizations? Well, I belong to, uh, I'm the president of Greater New York Council of the Blind, Neat. which is part of American Council of the Blind. Mm -hmm. um, I belong to um, Guide Dog Users of New York State. Neat. And uh, I'm a member of uh, AER. Uh-huh. Neat. Um, what do you think drives the, the, div the split, the, the divide between uh, NFB and a sort of ACB, AER, seem to be more on a different plane? Well, AER, I find, is more middle of the road. They're more in, in the direction of ACB than, yeah. than NFB. I think what it is, is it's the way we see um, obtaining um, reasonable accommodation, what we see as being uh, independent, like for the, the subway strips. NFB sees that, that they shouldn't be there and call just for the blind so they don't want them at all. Where I see the subway stripping is even being good for elderly people mm -hmm. with the traction and with maybe they're not legally blind, but their vision might not be what it once was. Mm -hmm. And it might stop people with the, uh, what it called, truncated domes from going over the edge, any people. Yeah. The same as I saw the gates, uh, when they put the gates in between the subway cars, I saw that as a safety factor for everybody. 
Because not just blind people fall on the tracks or fall in between the cars. More sighted, I would bet, than blind sure. fall in between them. And so I see this as a, as a wider issue. The same with uh, on the plane. NSB, they want to sit near exits and open the door. Even if I could see, I'm going to tell you, I would not want to do it. I'd be a wreck. I, I, I wouldn't remember how to open the door. I know it. And I, and I really think in some of these things, you have to be practical. If you're blind, you're not going to be a brain surgeon. Yeah. So if you're blind, you're not going to be able to open the doors on that plane. But they don't see it that way. Yeah. I also think it's ridiculous that they think blind people can be mobility instructors. Oh. I, I don't like that idea either. I, I would... I could do indoor mobility. Uh-huh. I could teach someone how to get to the laundry room or the mailbox. But then when it would come to doing streets, I would not want that responsibility because I can't see what they're doing. Yeah. But the, the, the basic uh, difference is uh, they just, you know, they take this attitude. Even I was, was a meeting with uh, uh, Nancy Miller and some people from the commission about programs for the elderly blind. And uh, what's-his-name was there, uh, Carl Jacobson from uh, New York State, uh, New York City, Greater New York NFB. And he said, oh, well, it won't be anything for us when we get old, he said, because we're adjusted to their blindness. And I said to him, but when you become old, it brings problems that you never thought of. Sure. And that's why blind people who are just losing their vision have so many problems. Oh, well, if they were told to get over it, and that they just, you know, should adjust like we adjusted. I'm not going to have any problems when I get old. I said, how would you know that? Yeah. How could you know that now? But, I mean, you know, with the decrease in hearing and arthritis and a loss of a spouse or whatever it would happen to be, um, you know, these things impact even if you've been blind all your life. Yeah. They have an impact on you when you get older. But he, he just couldn't see it. Yeah. He just couldn't see it. It didn't matter what I said. I was wrong. And that's the thing. Now, on the other hand, I think NFB has done a lot of good things with uh, their computer center. Sure. And with uh, Braille literacy and the STAND program, which I think is very good. What's that one? The, um, they were largely respond. They have, um, I guess they way back when had something to do with the Randolph Shepard. Oh, the BEP. And uh, a lot of uh, the uh, NFB enterprises have a lot to do with these stands. So that, I, although I don't agree with their philosophy and I would never join them, and Kenneth Jernigan didn't have such a good idea about dogs, nor did he about canes, <laughs> i got to add. But uh, I just find that... Um, uh, ACB is more middle of the road. Yeah. We're more legislation conscious, uh, and I think we try to work with AER and to work with uh, um, NFB, uh, not, not NFB, um, American AFB. Mm-hmm. And I think we really try to work with organizations instead of opposing them. Yeah. To you know, we, we, we more or less feel we could win uh, more flies with honey than we can with vinegar. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I think that's the general idea. But yet, we want independence. We want equality. Uh, sure. For example, today I saw in uh, Francis Mary DeAndrea's, uh, oh, what's that dot newsletter that I get, 
um, that uh, NFB has this book, uh, Braille for Success, but it's in print. <laughs> That's cute. And they're always fussing, you know, about getting everything accessible format. And, I know. Uh, and they're suing, you know, uh, states to get Braille bills and all of that. And here they have this book come out. It's in large, it's in ink print only. How did um, ADA impact you? Do you notice a difference before and after its passage? Well, in the, yes, in the sense that you can um, state that a reasonable accommodation is requested. And like that time I told you I went on Cave of the Winds, I think if I had not been able to say the Americans with Disabilities Act, that the guy probably would not have let me uh, go on right. that, that adventure. But I do also feel uh, that it's greatly taken advantage of by oh. people who don't need it. And then when we need it for a realistic reason, for a reason that really counts, we're less likely to be listened to because there's so much abuse of the Americans with Disabilities Act. One case was um, twins who were pilots for um, a charter airline. And they wanted to get a job with United or TWA or something like that. Now, they were not visually impaired as long as they wore their uh, contact lenses. But the standards, their vision was quite bad without it. Uh -huh. But the standards of the airline somehow said that they would prefer there not be such a difference with lenses, with using contact lenses in the air and uh, some other degree of vision problem that they had that their standards for visual uh, acuity in piloting were much higher than the charter airlines and they chose not to hire these twins. Now these twins, uh, they filed on the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh they, my. visually impaired people they were being denied. They're not visually impaired. They don't fit any definition right. of visual but impairment. But they said that having a vision, they were not giving reasonable accommodation. Oh. Well, the courts, of course, Police. ruled against them because well, they I said you have so. to have sufficient vision to fly a plane and that all of the other airlines, but if the policy of the airline, it was that airline's policy to require a certain vision of, uh, threshold and certain rules about that, then it was not really discrimination because it took vision to fly a plane and if they were going to say they had the ability to fly the plane, then they couldn't go ahead on the other hand and say they were visually impaired. They couldn't <laughs> vote. <laughs> so the court ruled against them. But the other abuses that John Stossel had on about people being fat and, you know, things like this, like they couldn't get into a seat in the theater. And, and I really think that that's an abuse. I really do. You personally, have you had any personal benefit, do you think, derived from it? Or? Well, I, I think it's easier to, um, uh, one thing that I noticed, I had an operation in St. Vincent a couple of years ago. And I think before the Americans with Disabilities Act, you wouldn't have found this. They gave me my um, patient's rights in Braille. Nice. 
And they said, uh, I'm sorry, you have to give it back to us because we only have one copy. This is a print copy. No, I, I said, no, that's fine as long as I read it. Sure. You know, so I sat there while I was waiting to be for pre-admissions, and I read it. Neat. And that was really acceptable to me. Yeah. But uh, I remember I went to Lenox Hill and had an operation, my eye removal last March, and they said, oh, here's your patient's rights. And I said, well, where is the Braille copy? And they said, what Braille copy? I said, well, you know, with Americans with Disabilities Act, you really have to have this in some accessible format, Braille or tape. And she goes, is that true? I said, yes, that's true. You better discuss it with your administration. Right. So everywhere I go, I try to you know, tell them about this. Like I tell my clients, ask your bank for the checks, you know, the yellow checks with the uh, raised black lines. And they said, well, what if they say we can't? Say the Americans with Disabilities Act says that they're supposed to provide that accommodation. It's not an expensive accommodation to provide for you. Most of their checks, most of the banks, order the checks from the same company anyway. You know, there's only a few companies that make certain kinds of checks. And I said, I'm certain if other banks get it, they can get it yeah. too. So it's, it's things like this that, uh, you know, I have found that they, you know, they really do try to, uh, I think there has been, but I think there needs to be more of it, you know. Yeah. I think some of it's a little ridiculous, like my doctor told me that uh, the uh, operating rooms at uh, Roosevelt Hospital have Braille on all the doors. Now, when you're being brought into the operating room, I'm not going to get up and the door. <laughs> well, if you're looking for something and you could rule it out <laughs> as a place, maybe, I right. don't know. Right, but I mean, they have it and they have Braille labels on all the machines yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's a little much, unless they have technicians that are going to fix them. I don't know. But then at the Catholic Guild for the Blind, uh, we're in the Archdiocese building. Uh, there are no Braille labels when we get off the floor. We don't have um, ladies and men's room signs in large print or Braille. Mm. If not Braille, at least large print. Um, the cafeteria has glary lighting. In the elevator, the numbers are all over the place. They don't make sense like they do in the lighthouse. Yeah. They're just all over the place. And when they had the old elevators, which they said weren't ADA compliant, you could find the numbers and the lighting was brighter in the <laughs> elevators. So, um, you know, it's just things like this that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working with them. Like, I always have to stand in front of the outer door and wait for the guard to let me in because I don't like to take Pico through the revolving doors. Not that she can't do but I don't know who's in front of me. Yeah. And I'm afraid her head will get caught in there because it's so fast. So I try to go through the straight doors, but unlike the lighthouse where the doors open automatically, I have to wait for someone to come and open the door. Oh, geez. But if someone didn't come, I could go through the revolving doors. But there's a girl on my floor who has MS, and she's in a wheelchair, and she can't do that. Right. And in the coldest weather, she has to wait out there until somebody comes and opens the door. That's right. You know, it's really ridiculous that they keep those doors locked. They're not supposed to. No, nope, they aren't. And I hate revolving doors just, just as a matter of course. I just don't like going through them, and I prefer. suggested that they do a turnstile because we've had some incidents at Catholic Charities because, you know, we have the homeless up there and... But, you, you know, know you prison have... Prison ministry and all of that, you, you know? You have revolving doors. I yeah. mean, just because the other kind, that doesn't mean you're going to get more people because the other kind are unlocked. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, even if he had a switch there, 
where if he saw somebody... But it doesn't make any sense. They would go as easily through revolving doors through another door. I mean, you know, (laughs) that's no reason. Well, they really should have the doors that open automatically because then this girl wouldn't have to ask anybody for help. And she could come in by herself. That's true. And the Cardinal said he wanted an open-door policy, so, you know. (laughs) And what, what kills me is they remodeled the lobby. So if they remodeled it at that time, why didn't they put in ADA standard doors? Yeah. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, the, the Lighthouse building is all ADA compliant. Yeah. All the doors up in the music school and everything. Neat. They're all ADA. And it's funny because the doors on our floor are ADA compliant um, and all of that kind of stuff. But, the, but downstairs in the lobby, they're not. And up in the cafeteria, it's not ADA compliant. Yeah. They remodeled the cafeteria, and they have the soup so high that someone in a wheelchair would never be able to reach it. Uh. And they write the menu out in hand print, so partially sighted person could never read it. Sounds like you're very aware of visual things. I mean, you you, you make a lot of references to dim lighting and what have you. Yeah. You really. Well, I have light perception. You do. Yeah. In in my um, uh, in my left eye, and I have a. Uh, prosthesis in my right eye. Neat. Um, what do you attribute to your present level of mobility? Well, I I think I had good mobility instructors in the beginning who gave me good foundations. And I also think uh, with the confidence I have in using a dog, I think that gave me a greater level of independence and mobility than I ever had with a cane. But I would never discount the foundations of uh, travel skills that I got with all my instructors because I think I learned something from each one of them. And I don't think you can really discount, you know, when the guide dog schools first started, they never required people to have mobility skills. And now all of them do. Yeah. You know, which I think is a good thing, and in fact... Um, well, dog dog schools are uh, are older than mobility yeah. instructors. But um, so now they do require it, and uh, like Lucas Frank is on the staff at Seeing Eye, sure. he's a he's a certified mobility instructor. In fact, he worked for the Catholic Guild once for oh. a while. And in fact, he worked with them after he trained me with Zoe, and then he worked for us part-time. And Martin Yabonski used to be on the staff of Guiding Eye. Sure. So I think they're starting to realize just how important it is that that person, before using a dog, know uh, traffic patterns, can analyze their environment, how important these things really are. And especially if the dog becomes ill or there might be a certain circumstance where they can't use the dog. Um, Like when I go have my nails done across the street from the guild, I don't bring the dog in for a good reason because she pulls me afterwards and messes up my manicure. Yeah. So, so I, it's just two streets I cross myself with a cane. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there are occasions like if I go out with my friends from work, uh, Teresa's deathly afraid of dogs, deathly. So if we go out to stay after dinner, I sometimes I'll leave the dog in my office, and we go out together, and I come back and get her later. Huh. I figure the dog's more comfortable. She has a pillow, a rug, and all that. Or, you know, if I go out with the secretary from Catholic Guild and, you know, we're going to go shopping or something like that, I leave the dog behind because it's easier to try on clothes and things like that. And 
you know, the, to find a place for the dog and all of that. Um, sometimes when I, I take my mom, if I take my mom to the doctor, I might leave the dog at her home because she's very elderly. It's very hard for my mother to get in and out of a cab, and she really needs both Sal and I to help her. So, you know, there are places I've been to where, you know, I won't take a dog. I don't think a dog is meant, seeing I said, the dog is not a ball and chain. The dog is a mobility aid. And if there's nothing for that dog to do in terms of mobility, leave the dog home. Yeah. Neat. Would you get more mobility instruction? Uh, I think I would. I think if I have to go back to a cane again, I might ask Therese to get uh, to let Rick give me a few, you know, brush up. Because I don't do it every day. Yeah. And there's things you forget. Yeah. Or I'd ask Marilyn Newman to give me a few hours or something, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, I, I think I might. Neat. And, and a lot of my friends do in between dogs. Oh. I realize it's been 10 years since they ever had, and they might get someone just to come for a few hours and remind them about, you know, the swing and the walk and the, uh, the sliding technique and all of that. So, you know, I'm not the only one who does that. I'm, a lot of my friends will do that. Yeah. Well, Murray, you have just been a lot of fun. Okay. This has been a lot of fun for me, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me. Um, I do want to say one more thing. Yeah. I think one advancement in the area of mobility is uh, that reflector tape. And the kind I also have it, you know, now we have it on our harnesses. I don't know if all the schools use it, but seeing I does. And um, I also, Sal got a flasher that um, he's going to give to me, and he has one. And when I cross Riverdale Avenue at night, I use it. It's a red flash, and it can be seen for five miles. Oh. And the reason I use it is because with all the, like, since Riverdale has all those rises and valleys in the road, the way it does naturally, a car could not even see you until it gets over the rise, and they come through here at a billion miles an hour, yeah. even though you're supposed to have the light. And the flasher will... will um, let the the car see you. And oh, that's a great always one. tells us not to wear, especially if we have black dogs, don't wear a dark color coat. Yeah. Makes and a big difference. Then I, I think the reflector vests are also uh, a good thing to use. But I think this reflector tape, especially some of the newer kinds that can reflect at 400 feet, I really think that's great. And all people should, should use it on their canes and on their harnesses and all of that. Oh, that's a great tip. Great tip. Well, thank you so much. Okay. All and, right. It's uh, been good. So and we'll see Felicia. Yes. Yeah, oh, Maureen gave us a unique look inside the life of a blind woman. Blind from birth. Taxis don't pick her up. She'll see you at the taxi commission. Listening to Maureen, you realize, for her, there are no obstacles. She demanded equal access to Niagara Falls and then gleefully left her husband, who has some vision, she reminds, in the mist, left him behind. Maureen dreamed of giving young children access to long canes. She said, maybe we could try and give it to them by their age six. 
And I say, how about age 10 months? Maureen is living proof. Blind kids can grow up without safe mobility. But why should we continue this barbaric tradition? Safe Toddle seeks to end this practice of blind babies walking without a two-step safety buffer between them and danger. You've been listening to the Safe Toddles Podcast. To learn more about our mission to provide blind toddlers with a solution for safely walking independently, we can be found through social media, our website, safetoddles.org, and TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Safe Toddles. And remember, if you can go where you want to, please do so as safely as possible and help support Safe Toddles' mission to bring safety to the lives of blind toddlers. We can go and we want to, kind of young and so am I. And we can just feel me from our hearts to our feet and surprise them with a victory cry. Say, we can act if we want to.